They told me in preacher school not to have a cutesy title for my sermons. And uh, I certainly do this time, and, and I'll explain what it means. 404 Not Found, that is a message that a web server gives you. Maybe you've, you've had some of those lately as we moved more and more of our lives online. Um, and, and what it, what it means is that you ask, you ask a web server, you go to a website, you go to uh, Google or wherever, and you ask for something, and it says, I don't have that here. What you asked for is not found. And so that's the, the standard message that the internet gives you. And, um, uh, I was thinking about it because that's kind of the situation we're in today is that if you came to our sanctuary today, if you came to our worship center looking for a worship service, the message that our worship center would give you is 404 not found. The reason is, is because it's been moved. It's been moved somewhere else that our worship center doesn't understand about. And, and that is the, uh, the internet. We're, we're worshiping together on the internet and not in the usual place. So um, that was kind of the idea behind the title. But behind that is the bigger question, which is, where is God in a situation like this? When you know, when the churches are closed, if if the churches are, uh, are closed, the church buildings are closed, but the church continues to worship, where is God in that? The psalmist tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. And uh, Jesus says that... Um, where two or three are gathered in his name, he will be there among them. And the the question for us is, okay, uh, we're gathered in Jesus' name, and we believe that Jesus is, is present with us, but how is his presence different in an internet uh, a worship service than in a than than in a traditional one in a in a sanctuary? And I understand this this may be an interesting uh, philosophical question under different circumstances. Uh, it would be nice to have a discussion about the nature of reality and whether whether what we think of as reality is really just a social construct. And we could get into some really interesting academic questions under different circumstances. But we're not under different circumstances. We're under these circumstances. And instead of asking if the churches were closed, the question for us is when the churches are closed. And the reason for that is because of the coronavirus and, and, and the shutdown that's occurred as a result of it. And so the question about, about where God is becomes very pertinent because things are different now. Maybe uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you had a great job. Maybe it was an okay job. But today, you may be one of the 50,000 people in Alaska alone who filed for unemployment benefits this this past month. Think about that. That's 7% of our entire population, not just uh, working-age adults, but the entire population of Alaska, 7% of us, file for jobless claims just in one month alone. Maybe for you, you were on the other side of those unemployment benefits. Maybe you're the employer, and you've had to let people go. And you're looking at your business and wondering, I don't know if I can, I don't know what's going to happen. If I successfully land this plane, will I ever be able to take off again? So maybe that's the question that you're wrestling with. Maybe you're, you're young and you've got your whole world in front of you, but you're thinking, you know, a tiny, a tiny adjustment here at the beginning could make a huge impact there. If I don't actually understand algebra, then what's going to happen to me when I get to college? You know, you may be thinking about what's going to happen just because of this semester or the summer internship you had lined up. Or maybe it's something that really cuts right to the chase. Maybe for you, it's your health. 
that you thought you were relatively healthy, you know, for your age, and then suddenly you find out, no, you're in an at-risk group, that you are old enough and unwell enough that suddenly you are at risk. And so we want to know, where is God? Why do we want to know? Because, because it's not our fault. In the book of Job, Job uh, encounters the most... Uh, unfortunate circumstances he's he's just he's suffering so badly and his friends come to him and they say well job the reason that you're suffering is because god is punishing you you did something wrong and if you would just apologize to god if you would just admit it then god would stop punishing you and job says but i didn't do anything I, this is not my fault i didn't do anything wrong and then job says he says oh that i could know how to find him and come to his dwelling place. I would lay out my case before him, fill my mouth with arguments. This is why we need to know where is God when the churches are closed. Because it's not our fault. It's not our fault that our job or our business or our summer internship or our health is suddenly in the situation it's in. And we want to know, where can I go to God? How can I tell God, hey, what's going on here? I'm, I'm innocent. I didn't do this. So we have the question, where is God when our worship is online? Now, in the ancient world, this was kind of a silly question. If you ask somebody where God was, they would say the same thing that they would say if you asked them where your car keys were. They'd say, well, where did you leave him? So uh, in the ancient world, the gods, everybody knew where the gods were. The gods were in the temple, that you would go into the temple and there'd be a big statue there of Diana or of uh, 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 Zeus or whoever it was, and the God was in the temple. And even if everybody cleared out of the temple, like like in our churches today, if everybody was out of the building, the God would still be there. And so there wasn't a question, where is God? Even when the building was was closed, the God was there. Now it, you had that you had the convenient answer, but the flip side of that was that somebody could steal your God. And we know historically that happened all the time, that if you got into a war with your neighbor and they came in and they conquered your city, they, they sacked it and they plundered and they took all the loot and they carried off people to be slaves and all the other things that people would do in those days. One of the things they would do is they would steal your gods. But even then, you knew where your god was because all you had to do was follow them back to their home country and see what they did with it. Um, now, Practically speaking, in that mindset, if you had that worldview, you probably wouldn't do it because you'd say, why would I be devoted to a God who can't even watch out for his own temple? So so in the ancient world, they would have had that perspective about where God is. But in the ancient world, Israel was different. Israel was different because they had the temple, but the temple didn't have a God in it. In fact, one of those, one of those circumstances where the invading army came along and, uh, what was, was about 60 years before the time of Christ, a Roman general named Pompey was invited in to help, uh, adjudicate a case between two people who wanted to be king. And he said, I like this country so much, I'm going to make it part of what is shortly going to become the Roman Empire. He basically conquered the whole country. And then he picked one of them and said, okay, you're going to be my client king, um, but but neither one of you is really going to be king the way you thought you were. So so Pompey showed up, and because he had just conquered uh, Jerusalem, because he'd conquered the, 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 um, the land of Judea, 
he was able to go into the temple. Now, normally, because he was a Gentile, he would have been stopped at the court of the Gentiles. But because he had just conquered the country, he went further. He went into the, the temple, and then he went into the holy place, and then he went right into the most holy place, where nobody was allowed to go except the holy priest and even uh, the high priest. And even the high priest could only go once a year. So Pompey goes in, and he finds out there's nothing in here. There's nothing in the holy place. It's just a room. It's an empty room. And so he went out saying, well, you know, whatever you guys have been doing here, just carry on. And so he allowed the Jews to continue their their regular worship the way they had been because he said there's nothing here worth taking back to Rome. So Israel truly was different. We know from, from history that this happened many times. Israel was looted by, by invaders, and at least on two occasions, the temple was actually destroyed. The Babylonians destroyed it in about 600 years before the time of Christ, and then um, the Romans did uh, sometime after the time of Christ. Uh, the, the temple was actually destroyed, but the religion of the people of God went on because God is not confined to a temple. God is not a stone idol that can be carted off to an invader's home country. So that's that's what's different about the religion of God, the, the God of the Bible. But it raises the question for us, why would you have a temple if you didn't have a God there? What is the purpose of a house of worship if God's not there? Well, the the answer that Israel used was they, they quoted from Solomon, the man who built that first temple, uh, the one of the kings of Israel, and he built that first temple. And he said that heaven and earth weren't big enough to contain God. So he said the purpose of the temple was to contain the name of God, that the name of God would be uttered in that temple. And so in some sense, it would belong in the temple. The good thing about that is nobody can steal it. So, so that was Solomon's answer, and it's the answer that people used um, from from that point forward. But to understand, but why would you build a temple? Why would you actually build a temple? We actually have to go back one step further. We have to go to Solomon's dad, uh, King David, and King David said this. King David had just conquered Jerusalem for the first time, and um, he had. This was the first time that Hebrews were were in charge of uh, uh, the the city of Jerusalem. Prior to that, it had been um, run by Jebusites. And David uh, conquers the country, he or conquers the city, he moves in, he builds a palace, and then we read in um, uh, 2 Samuel verse uh, chapter 7, he says, When the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, Look, I'm living in a cedar palace, but God's chest is housed in a tent. And Nathan, the prophet, said to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you're thinking, because the Lord is with you. So that's what Nathan said. Go right ahead. You build your, you build him a temple. But that very night, the Lord's word came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and tell him, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a temple, to build the temple for me to live in. In fact, God goes on to Nathan. He says, I haven't lived in a temple from the day I brought Israel out of Egypt until now. Instead, I've been traveling around in a tent and in a dwelling. Throughout my traveling around with the Israelites, did I ever ask any of Israel's tribal leaders that I appointed to shepherd my people, did I ever ask them, why haven't you built me a cedar temple? 
God is in the position of somebody, you've been in this place where somebody says, here's, here's your, your gift, here's your Christmas present, here's your birthday present, don't you love it? And you go, uh, yes, it's wonderful. That's the situation God is in. God is saying, I didn't really ask for a temple. God says, I, I like the tent. And so God, God goes ahead and accepts it, but he's, it's a situation where somebody gives you a gift and, and they, they don't give you the receipt, so you can't turn it back in and get something you want, so you're basically just stuck with that gift and you, you, every time you look at it, you think, well, ah, the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. And that's the situation God's in. God says, I really like the tent and I never asked for a temple. So what is the tent? Why did God like this tent? Well, the answer for that comes from the book of Exodus. And to introduce this, I have to ask this question. Have you ever, have you ever tried to read the Bible? Have you ever just sat down and said, you know, this year, maybe for a New Year's resolution, or maybe because you just decided, I should read the Bible. My guess is that the tabernacle is what made you stop. Because you're reading along and there's these interesting stories and some of them are easy to understand, some of them less, less easy to understand. But then in chapter 25 of the book of Exodus, you suddenly come to the tabernacle. And when we read about the tabernacle, it's like this. So, chapter 25 of the book of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to collect gift offerings for me. Receive my gift offerings from everybody who freely wants to give. These are the gift offerings that you should receive from them. Gold, silver, and copper. Blue, purple, and deep red yarns. Fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, beaded leather, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and the sweet-smelling incense, gemstones, and gems for setting in the priest's vest and chest piece. They should make me a sanctuary so I could be present among them. You should follow the blueprints and I will show you for the dwelling and for all its equipment. Then it goes on and on, more and more, page after page like that, explaining everything you could possibly want to know about the tabernacle. Uh, the, The furniture, the color scheme, the type of yarn to be used in the curtains. It goes on and on for 16 chapters all the way to the end of the book. There's one break, and that's when Moses has been gone so long listening to God explain about the tabernacle that the people say, I don't know if Moses is ever coming back. Let's make some golden calves and worship them. And so there's this brief little interlude where God deals with the golden calf worship, and then as soon as that's done, he goes back to talking about the tabernacle. And it goes all the way to the end of the book of Exodus. And so at the very last chapter of the book of Exodus, it says, it says, um, that when God finished, uh, when Moses finished all the work, the cloud covered the meeting tent and the Lord's glorious presence filled the dwelling. Moses couldn't enter the meeting tent because the cloud had settled on it and the Lord's glorious presence filled the dwelling. But whenever the cloud rose from the dwelling, the Israelites would set out on their journeys. If the cloud didn't rise, then they didn't set out until the day it did rise. The cloud, the Lord's cloud stayed over the dwelling during the day with lightning in it at night, clearly visible to the whole household of Israel at every stage of their journey. So that's the tabernacle. And it can be 
difficult reading, as I said. But what it reminds me of, I had a friend in college who had a car, and because I didn't have a car, most of the time when I was riding anywhere, it was with him. And uh, Not in college, this was in high school. And um, he just would not shut up about his car. He loved his car. He would tell me about the engine. He would tell me about the tires. He was telling me about the tires he was going to upgrade to as soon as he could afford them. He told me about the stereo system. He told me about everything about that car. And that's what the tabernacle reminds me of. And for the same reason. Because a car represents mobility when you're in high school. The ability to go where you want, when you want. And that's exactly what God has in the tabernacle. God says, look, I am already out there, but you can't find me. But if you build a tent, then I can guide you to different places. And so at the end of, at the end of Exodus, after all this detail about the tabernacle, God starts taking them places. They drive around throughout the wilderness for 40 years. They spend 40 years doing, doing donuts in the, in the, in the wilderness. And then, they go into the promised land, and it's a couple of hundred years before David gets around to building them a temple. God wants them to, to follow him wherever he's going because he doesn't need a temple. He's perfectly happy with the tent. So, one of, if, if you are tempted, if you are tempted to go past the end of the book of Exodus, and venture into the book of Leviticus, you will find out that God loves the tabernacle so much that he mandates a whole festival called the Festival of Tabernacles. God says, I like the tents so much, you should all have tents. And so he mandates this festival where people come to Jerusalem, they, they, or uh, wherever the, the tabernacle is located, they come there and they they build um, improvised shelters. Sometimes it's called the Festival of Booths or of Shelters, but it's the Feast of Tabernacles. They, they come there, and then they spend seven days living in a tent, partying. And that, frankly, sounds very bad to me. It sounds actually what it sounds to me like is some biblical version of Burning Man. And it doesn't sound like much fun to me. But God loves the tabernacle that much. He says everybody should get a chance to have one of these things. They are awesome. And so, for us, if our tabernacle, I mean, if our temple, if our temple is closed, if our house of worship, if, if our sanctuary, if our church building is closed, God's probably not too upset about that. God's perfectly fine out there where he always is. He doesn't need to be located like some pagan idol in the back room of a temple. God's perfectly happy out there in the world. The purpose for the tabernacle is to help us see where God is at and what God's doing so that he can guide us as we seek to follow him. So, if we've got a temple, that's okay. If if we've got a house of worship, if we've got a place like this, I have never appreciated this building as much as I have the past two months all the things that you just get for free when everybody comes to worship. It's been, it's been a real trial learning all the things we do for the internet. But I think God's okay with me being stretched and, and you being stretched. I think that's the point of the tabernacle is God wants us to, to be willing to follow where he's guiding us to, to not sink down roots so hard that he can't move us in a new direction if it's time for us to go somewhere different. So.
What I would encourage you to do between now and our next worship service is to think that over and say, you know, I can worship God anywhere. You know, I, I just picture a tent. Maybe if, if you want to, go out and camp in your own tent. Maybe you could experience some of that festival of tabernacles uh, vibe. Um, if you do that, but maybe maybe worship in your garage, maybe worship in your your kitchen, maybe worship in your living room, wherever you want to. If you've got small children, I encourage you build a shelter. I, when, when I was small, um, as soon as my parents' back was turned, one of one of one of us uh, kids was taking the cushions off the couch and building a little a little fort. And so I would encourage you to try building a, a shelter there and worshiping God that way. So play with it. Have fun. God loved driving that tabernacle all over the wilderness. So ask yourself, where can I worship God that's a little different, a little challenging, maybe stretch me a little bit? And if you say, well, this seems pretty impermanent, seems like it doesn't doesn't seem like a, a permanent sort of arrangement, I think Jesus is okay with that. One of the things Jesus stressed after his resurrection was he told his disciples to go into the world. At the end of Matthew's uh, biography, he says the Great Commission. He says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. At the beginning of the book of Acts, he tells the disciples that they will be his witnesses, not just there in Jerusalem, not just where the temple is, but further out in Judea and Samaria. And ultimately, God says, uh, Jesus says, to the end of the world. So, Let's let's uh, look forward to the day when we can worship again in our house of worship, but let's realize that sometimes God wants us to go in new directions. And so I invite you, worship God in a new way this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, it is easy for us to put down roots and to decide that you should be as settled in one location as we are. Help us to remember that you are the God uh, who who is all over and moves and and guides and directs. And Lord, help us to see where you're headed so that we can go there too. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen.